Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. There's football in this house. 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 Hello and welcome back to the Different Knock podcast with Alexander Moneypenny and Bradley Adams. There you go. Here we go, boys. <laughs> Firstly, thank you all so much for your responses to the to the first episode. It was brilliant. We had streams in the US, in Germany, and obviously in the UK. Thanks, mum. Actually, my mum didn't listen. I asked my mum if she listened. She said no. <laughs> brilliant. It was Love such it. a flat no as well. It was just I was like, oh, have you listened to any podcasts? No, <laughs> there was no, oh. there was no attempt to, to to make it better for me. Love it. Love uh, it. Yes. Uh, also, Brad, this week, uh, I was informed by my by my uh, lovely girlfriend that I was defending Arteta in my dreams. <laughs> I, I, I got quite a bad sleep talking problem, and uh, apparently, apparently, <laughs> apparently, I was like, no, he's he's really good. No, Arteta's the man. So Arsenal is not only taking over my life; it's taking over my unconscious life as well yes how are you brad i'm i'm very well thank you how are you alex good yeah i'm good mate i'm good it's good i I will say it's been quite a tough week watching uh the jeff and 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 nabry yeah sort of living the dream nabry man what a player i mean he has no backlift it's unbelievable i've never seen a player who can get a shot off so quickly it's unbelievable uh, part like it, it, an unbelievable talent absolutely fantastic can play off either wing i don't even know what his uh dominant foot is no. as in i couldn't tell you whether he's right footed left footed or whatever he just seems quite ambidextrous with both but it just brings you back to the whole the whole tony pulis thing oh. saying he's not good enough for <laughs> west brom and then him and Bayern have just smacked up Barcelona 8-2. Yeah, I think he scored more goals in the game against Spurs than he did in his entire time with, with under under old Tony. Yeah. Which is, yeah. But no, listen, you know, fair play to him. Um, yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. So it's been a quiet week. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think probably certainly one of the most eventful weeks uh, in Arsenal history that I can remember. In recent history, yeah. Certainly, certainly. And we'll start with the big news. Uh, Zek Medley and Trey Coyle on loan to Gillingham. Um, it's, it was a huge moment. How did you feel? What was your reaction? Um, there wasn't one, if I'm totally honest. Because, That's fair enough. Uh, That's fair enough. I, I'm, I'm in a love-hate relationship with Arsenal at the moment where I've got, I've got the notice on, waiting for that contract extension to come out. Yes. So actually, while we're recording this, do you want to tell us what's going on? Uh, well, we're still we're still waiting for the Abamyang uh, news, but he's just put a tweet out with a few, with an ellipsis and a little little oh god, what are they called? Bloody time things. Sand oh, timers. Um, no, no, hourglass. That's it. That's it. With an hourglass on it, obviously alluding one. to what's going on. 
I mean, at this point, I think it'd be hilarious if he just absolutely bantered us off and left. Yeah. <laughs> and we've been waiting, what, three, what, how long has it been since the FA Cup final? Two weeks, three weeks? It was, we've been fir- it was first of August, so two weeks. Yeah, and we've been, if we've been waiting two weeks for him to just abs, and all of this, like, spraying your hair red just to get absolutely bantered off. And his whole family, his whole family oh. were in Arsenal kits. I know, I know, I know. Uh, I I mean, realistically, from everything that I've seen, everyone's saying the deal's been done, but I think it's very calculated how long they've left this. I think they're saving it as a piece of news that they know will make Arsenal fans happy and they're going to release it when they need to kind of give us a boost. Do you see what I mean? I think so. I think so, 100%. I think it's not, um, let's say, not uncoincidental. No, that's, hang on. It's coincidental. Maybe it isn't coincidental. I can't work it out. What I'm trying to say, Brad, is that I don't think it's a coincidence that we win the FA Cup and then they announce the redundancies and then we get the Willian news. I think there's a... Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I've always felt from Arsenal that they're a bit smarter than maybe they let on. Yeah. In terms of the, the stuff they release. Um, so yeah, I, I imagine the Alba contract stuff is coming soon. I, it could even come out this episode. This is the problem with re- releasing a podcast once a week. We might have to do it twice a week. Oh, I should mention, this will be released every Monday. I remember I said last episode at like 1am, I got really excited. I was like, we'll do two episodes. We won't. We're doing one. <laughs> one episode a week. If it goes well, we might up the shed. Who knows? You never know. You never, you never know. know. Um, but yeah, no, so, so it, it, it could be announced this episode. We, we, we could be live on air. I've got the noties on. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll keep us updated and I'll keep checking to see if it happens. Lovely. But you can let us know. At the end of the day, Arsenal are run like a business. And one thing that that kind of gives them is they're, they're, very, they're very aware of the optics and of situations, which is why they will sandwich bad news with good news. We'll win the FA Cup. They'll announce the redundancies. They'll announce William. So it, it makes it seem like the good outweighs the bad almost. And I think that they are very clever at that. And I think that that's why we are yet to hear about this Aubameyang contract. Let's hope. Let's hope. Okay, so uh, Zek Medley and Trey Coyle were off to Gillingham. I think, uh, I think, mm-hmm. is it Swanson joined Maastricht on loan? I could be making that. I could be yeah. totally making that up. The more interesting part for me, really, is uh, the loan stuff, which I've been reading about in Football London. Yes. And all about the loan manager, Ben Napper, and apparently how we're, we're quite, sort of field leading in this um i had to to read this article it was all about how we you know we we get them to we get the you know the the loanee club to pitch us uh why we should we should let our player go on on loan to them i think it's a really 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 smart idea it's also a really great way of uh generating some some capital because you know you look at all these players not every single player is going to be a first team player for arsenal absolutely but you you say you look at you know Zek Medley, he's a, I think he's like six foot six or six foot five or something like that. He's a huge guy. Clearly, you know, he's come through Arsenal. He's playing with the first team. He's going to be technically, you know, gifted. I'm, I'm sure I don't know much about him, but left-footed know, as well, which is always rare for centre backs. Yeah, I, I, and I think it's it's a, it's another great way of, of of just making a bit of money. And if we can be smarter and invest in the, uh, you know, sending these guys out on on decent loans and not sending them out to just the first club who who um, who opts for them, I think it's a really smart. Smart thing, and and it's a really exciting thing to to feel like we're sort of leading the way with that. Agreed, uh, and I mean they've we're only really talking about it now because news is broken now. But in that same article, it mentions about Mavropanos 
and I think he's at Stuttgart, but there was it was two German clubs that came in to kind of deliver that pitch. And he was kind of one of the first, like almost beta subjects of this new system, which mm. I think is, is going to serve us in the long run. Because if you look at all of, if you look at a couple of the big teams, you look at people like Man City, you look at people like Chelsea, they are bringing in very, very, very hot prospects. They are loaning them, th- them out to try and develop them. And then the ones that do develop stay and the others that don't, develop to the level needed to play for a Chelsea or an Arsenal or a Man City yeah. are sold. And I mean, uh, kind of key point in that is Pablo Mari. Pablo Mari used to be a Man City player. He was bought for about £180,000 by City in 2016 or 17, I think. Uh, loaned out for a few seasons and then sold to Flamengo because they didn't believe he had the kind of prerequisite needed to play for City. He's gone and done quite well in Flamengo and then we've bought him. For some reason, whenever you say flamingo, I think you're wrong. But then I realise I'm thinking of flamenco, as in the dance that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, apologies for your ears there. Uh, anyway, uh, so yes, so obviously the big news this week: uh, head of football Raúl Sanjáhi has left the club. There was a statement on uh, Saturday. What it was yesterday, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saturday, recording this on the Sunday, um, and Sanjáhi's left the club. There was news on Friday that an investigation, uh, I think it was with ESPN, uh, broken by potentially James Olley, I uh, could be getting that wrong, uh, had uh, said that there was an internal investigation into whether we paid too much for the Pepe deal. Now, Sanya, he's left. Uh, there's been a statement out from him saying all's good. Uh, there's been some stuff out in the Telegraph today saying that he left because uh, transfers were being kind of taken over by Edu. And and Arteta and Arsenal seem to be saying, well, you know, we're streamlining our management team and stuff. I have to say, I don't buy it. Uh, my opinion on this situation is that he's jumped before he can be pushed. Uh, the Cronkies appointed a guy called Tim Lewis to the board, who's basically kind of like a lawyer. And is the person that's, from everything that I've read, heading up this investigation into the Pepe deal. And I think it's gotten to a situation where obviously rumour is that we have paid 10, uh, with during the Nicola Pepe deal, we have paid £10 million on either, a lot of people, there's a lot of false reporting going on at the moment on Twitter. And uh, so nobody's really sure as to whether it's including the 72 million that we paid or i also think it's worth saying for everyone that this is obviously complete conjecture <laughs> like oh, we absolutely. don't know but no clue but... no one knows all, all of these are itks none of them know because they always say things yeah. like personal terms are agreed but a transfer fee needs to be reached but you know that's categorically not true because if that was true all of these clubs that have personal terms agree would be done for tapping players up because you're not allowed to do that yeah so it's i mean a lot of it's just a load of bollocks but i think from kind of the optics of the situation, it looks like there's been this investigation into the Pepe deal. It's been found out that we paid 10 million to intermediaries and that Sanyehi got a kickback from that deal. Yeah, which I buy. I do buy. Unfortunately, as much as yeah. we probably can't can ever confirm that, you know, it may come out in years to come in an autobiography or something. I, I just think, and the transfers thing, I don't buy. I really don't buy because he, Sanyehi has never been. Sanyehi's the man who goes out and gets the player. He's not necessarily. We brought in Edu as the technical director to identify the players and to, and to work with the head coach mm-hmm. and to identify those players. And then Sanyehi goes out and, and gets them. Now, of course, he'll have a bit of a say 
in the in the players that he gets. But ultimately, that's Edu's that's Edu's role. He's he's responsible for the for the long term technical side of the football. So I don't really buy that it was a that he thought. And also, if you're the head of football, you're bringing in Edu. You're bringing in Arteta. So who are you? Who are you saying? Like you're you're the person who's made this happen. So then, if you're concerned that you've lost the control of the transfers, then that's down to you. And and also, you're the person who can change that. So it's it's bizarre to me. I don't buy it at all. And um, frankly, uh, in the new setup, I I'll be honest, I'm happier. Vinay seems really smart. He seems to care about the club. He I just see it in it. He did an interview, um, for Arsenal.com, and he was he was you could tell. You know, he's ten years at the club. He's he's still he cares about he's his job. He's an Arsenal fan. He's an Arsenal fan. He loves the job. And if if transfers and if uh, the squad uh, sort of um, squad building is left up to Edu and, and Arteta, I think that's for the best. Of course, because, you know, if Arteta and Edu are working hand in hand to create a philosophy at the club, a style of play, they will be able to identify the targets to to kind of go after and pick up that are going to suit that style of play better than a director of football who isn't in the day to day to day when it comes to kind of the technical things happening on the pitch. Uh, I'm very happy about the new structure in the sense that I didn't I didn't really see a point in having a director of football or a head of football when we had a technical director and a managing director and a head coach. It kind of seemed to be a bit of a redundant position. But the one thing that I that I mean, I've got I'll give a quick shout out to uh, Hugh Wizzy for one on (laughs) YouTube. Great guy. Arsenal fan. Absolute legend. What uh, he does live streams pretty much every day, and I was listening to one of his live streams after this news broke about Sanyehi, and I do think we have to be very wary about Vinay, in the sense that he uh, Raul Sanyehi was not working alone. Vinay is kind of the the sanctioner of deals almost, and is the managing director, and kind of is is Arsenal's money man. Kind of makes. From everything that's that's come out, it's kind of he's the one that kind of says, OK, you've got 60 million, go out, find what you want and then and negotiate deals. But I think if it, if you look at I just don't know, I think that it is going to become a situation because I've seen a lot of people also saying that Sanyehi is the main reason we have been dealing so much with uh, Kia Jarabshian and Arturo Canales, of course. And then apparently, you know the the friday that um this the news was kind of leaked but hadn't broken we instead of started looking at coutinho we started looking at alwar and that's because edu edu took over kind of looking at players but here's my issue with that is edu is a key a client Mm. so we're We're not, not out of the woods we're not out of the woods and we're not we've not flushed the system in the sense that if you're telling me that the managing director of Arsenal Football Club did not know the things that were going on in these deals, he either needs to be sacked for incompetence or he's complicit because it all has to go through him. He is our managing director. It's a good point. It's a good point. I think part of the problem is, and something that Vinay has addressed, is the the lack of communication and the lack of clarity i guess on the roles mm. i mean uh, correct me if i'm wrong but you can't exactly go on the arsenal.com website and and look at you know what does raul do on a daily basis what does edu do we're, we're feeding on scraps really of course 
I think the communication has to be better. And and I'm I'm unclear, uh, you know, exactly what the roles are. You sort of piece together bits of information. Okay, Eddie's we've been told Eddie's the technical director, but what does he do? Okay, he's 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 um, you know, looking after the squad long term, fine, but what does that actually involve? Mm. I agree. I think there's some there's there's a question to be asked about Vinai. Whether my my guess maybe would be that he I don't know how much say or responsibility he could take in, you know, is he working alongside Raul? Was he working alongside Raul? Is he, uh, R.I.P.? Is he, <laughs> you know, is he looking after the... I suppose my question is, is how much Vinay had a say in that and and, and how much Vinay actually had a, a hand in that and then consequentially how much Vinay could actually do. Of course. So, you know, whether in his new position whether he could have, uh, you know, stepped in and, and said, oh, actually, I can, I can stop you doing that. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, my only, I suppose my, my sense of optimism in this deal is twofold. Firstly, is what Vinay said in this interview. And I think you have to take people at their word a little bit and just go, okay, well, you know, he said he wants to improve communication. He, you know, he said all the right things about, you know, bringing Arsenal back to where they, they should be, all that sort of stuff. And, that, and that's fine. I think for me, the main my main uh, enjoyment from this is the feeling that Arteta is is kind of rising up that rank, is kind of coming yeah. becoming a bit more in the Arsene Wenger role. I think there's been a, there's been a huge shift in football, obviously, between um, you know old school, you know Alex Ferguson managers who you know choose the dinner ladies vest tops and things like that. You know that sort of level of control. What a strange analogy. I'm so sorry. Or a, yeah, like a Wenger. Wenger had his kind of hands in everything at yeah. Arsenal. He chose the yeah. players. After David Dean left, he started to negotiate deals. Definitely, but I, I think the 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 structure and the idea that Arteta can become a bit more than a head coach, uh, which I, and I like because I like his communication style. I like how clear he is. I, I think he's a really got great football brain. Mm. I also think with those people who are so clear and are so principled, they tend to be quite good in other areas. Now they might not have the expertise. But, you know, recruitment ID, looking at, you know, the, the next best way of doing things. And you look at the, the way we've, we've um, you look at the way we've been doing scouting recently. I suppose my point is that does Arteta come from Man City uh, and go, well, hang on, this is massively old school. We need more data driven, uh, you know, a bit more of a, a wider contacts book and less, you know, in-house scouts, that kind of stuff. I wonder how much of that decision was because Arteta commented, commented on it and said, this isn't how it's done at Man City. And, and I don't think it's bad to be learning from these, you know, world leading clubs. Absolutely. I suppose my I suppose my main point is I'm I'm kind of glad that it, it appears that Arteta is getting a bit more of a influence and a bit more of a say. Mm. And I would love uh, for that to be growing because I, I I just think he's 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 magic for the club. Agreed. And now, listen, Agreed. I am massively skewed because he's just won as an FA Cup. But <laughs> I do I do really rate him. And I really think and, and from everything that comes out about him and everything that's you know everything that's said about him. I think it appears a lot of people in football do too. Similarly, uh, Vinay. Similarly, Vinay. I think I think there was a bit of a, um, let's say, uh, Raúl had a bit of a reputation. And you look at you know where Barcelona are now. I wonder how much of that um, is is Raúl's mm-hmm. doing on, on you know kind of planning three four years ago whenever he whenever he left. Um, and I think Vinay appears to be a bit more respected, a bit more uh principled but i i again i agree there are there's definitely questions to be asked other people are going to be and will be implicated in this and it will be interesting to see if any more comes out from this kind of investigation side of it uh, i think it's a good move for the club i think uh it, it is 
when we have a technical director, when we have a head coach, and when we have a managing director, the position of director of football becomes defunct. There's no point in it. Yeah. So or, or head of football, but again, it's this thing of like, but what what's is it? so different from a head of football? What's so different from a head of football to the technical to a, director to a no to a to a director of football? What's the you know? A, yeah. And this is the thing: it's that it's that lack of communication. I think, mm. and it's not as if you know, I think Vino even says in the interview: it's, they don't need to provide us with minute by minute updates, but just a bit more clarification over roles. We mm-hmm. know exactly what Kieran Tierney's role is. We know exactly what Steve Round's role is. Why can't we know what Edu? and Vinay are doing to, to hold them accountable you know and 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 also to know where to place not just not blame or praise where to place responsibility where to place okay who does this where does this ball land you know in whose lap does that land if i'm going to use a football analogy thank you of course of course because and, and it is important to understand that it is when praise is due you praise the right people and when criticism is due is criticize the right people I think a lot of people in the end of Arsene Wenger's reign gave Wenger a hell of a lot of shtick for things that were not within his control. If a club's giving you 15 million to spend in a summer window, when the window we only signed check. Mate, I forgot that happened. That's so funny. There's, he can't. <laughs> but do, do you know what I mean? Is in like, yeah. as a manager of the club, you have to work with what you are given. And the club can come out now and say, oh, no, Wenger had more or we can. But realistically, that squad needed work. And the main place it did need work was goalkeeper. He had a little bit of money and he spent it on probably the best goalkeeper at the point that he could have got for that money. If you look at the fact that City have spent in Pep era something like 700 million to never even reach the quarterfinals to get past the quarterfinals of a Mm. Champions League. Sorry. And then you look at, you know. Wenger did it with a defence, including, Fl- I think it's Flamini, maybe Senderos and... And Abue. And Abue. And people are, are saying that, you know, Pep without Messi is just Wenger. Wenger, the year that we got to the Champions League final, did not concede a single goal in the Champions League, except from in that final. And the goal that we lost it to was offside. Yeah. So he got to a final... And with 10 men against Barcelona, the only reason he lost it was because of a bad linesman decision. I think what this all speaks to is in football, these margins are so slim. They're so slim. And the only thing you can do is try and plan long term and try and put the right people in the right place at the right time. It may not come off on the football pitch. A ball can bounce in a different way. A ball can be three millimetres to the side and it can completely change your fortune as a club. That's the game. That's the beautiful game. Like, that's what it is. You've just got to look at the fact that Bournemouth went down because because the Villa, uh, I think it's a Sheffield United goal, was well over the line but wasn't given because the goal line technology wasn't working. Exactly. And that's the fine margins you're working with. And, and, that, and you're talking about hundreds of millions of pounds. Yeah, hundreds of millions and, and a completely change in fortune, different manager, different, you know, a, a whole history of a club is affected. Mm-hmm. I just think it's it's... The main thing for me, the main positive I think we, we can take from this this news is that we do appear to be sorting out the off-pitch stuff. Everything yeah. that can happen off the pitch feels like it's moving in the right direction. Agreed. I think sometimes we can, as you say, pick up on, well, there's the, you know, this happens or, you know, we don't want this to happen or whatever it is. We can, we can, we can critique all we like. Ultimately, I feel like we're making some good decisions. Agreed. And we're looking at the best people in the best positions and trying to address problems. Mm-hmm. And and I think what's really exciting is, and we'll come on to it in a second, 
Edu's comments um, in in the sort of William announcement when he was talking about you know the squad balance and how they um, and stuff that Vinay was saying about short, medium, and long term planning for the squad. There appears to be a bit more of a plan. Uh, the the ship appears to be steadying post Wenger, mm-hmm. and as you say, you know Wenger had such a a long career and and so many successes and and so many failures. Ultimately, that's football, and and ultimately, you have to look at what he did off the pitch. I think, if anything, a little bit, a little bit more. And he changed the culture around the club. He built a stadium. He, what is that person doing day to day? Yes, some of the some of the um, some of the results weren't as good, but what are we doing long, long, long term? And he changed. He changed football. Yeah, the man revolutionized the game and does not get enough credit for it. Big time. And you also have to look at what Pep. Um, the the squads that Pep inherited, you know, you look at um the, the that Bayern squad, that Barca squad with Eto and Henri and Messi and Javi and Iniesta, and Christ Puyol. Almighty, and yeah. you know, and and the Bayern squad, I think it had you know, you know, Cruz and and Boateng and Robbery and Ribery, uh, Robbery and Ribery, <laughs> uh, but you know, all of these all of these players who I'm not not sure Boateng was there, but you know, these incredible incredible players. Speaking of Bayern, by the way, did you see that clip of Thomas Muller going, Lewandowski? Oh. Lewandowski? It's one mind. of the worst things I've ever seen. It's, it's the fact that he says it once and no and one it's laughs. Awkward, and it's the awkward move of the mic. It's the little, it's the pulling oh. of the mic towards him as if like, nah, they didn't hear oh, me. This this God. one's funny. They didn't hear me. Lewandowski. Silence. Cry. Yeah, no, it's... Um... And also, another thing we should probably talk about, which I think is probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen. If you haven't seen that clip of Michael Owen on... I'll retweet it to the Different Knock uh, Twitter. It's a clip of Michael Owen doing volleys against a 13-year-old kid. Oh. And this kid is probably five foot two. He's in this massive goal at the Britannia um, in Stoke. And uh, I think this is sort of like Michael <laughs> Owen Ballon d'Or era. Like, this is like, you know, oh. when Michael Owen was like Michael Owen. And he bangs in about twenty-two volleys against this thirteen-year-old, and there's no moment where there's no moment where Michael Owen goes like, "Oh, I'd maybe go easy on this kid." He is smashing these volleys past this kid and then celebrating. <laughs> there's another clip around it, which I found out it was from this like Michael Owen soccer school type video, and there's another one of Neville Southall teaching this this five foot two thirteen-year-old like this ginger, like he's quite chubby, like he's so sweet, teaching him how to. He's like um uh the sort of the goal goalkeeping technique of like if the ball's going to your left don't lead with your right lead with your left because otherwise you're going to twist your body which makes complete sense and this this really technical stuff for this 13 year old kid while ballon d'or when a michael owen is smashing them in the top corner and celebrating and there's one moment where neville southall just goes yeah well done he's 13 and michael owen misses it and just goes yep another goal for me fantastic i have to say that ballon d'or though yeah, ha- I, I, he's. I mean, it's he, It's between him and maybe Pavel Nedved. Yeah, for the years that they won it to be like the most. I don't want to say undeserving, but Christ Almighty. Yeah, and and Henri hasn't got one. Do you know what I mean? So well, on, I think Henri was was up for it the year that Nedved won it, and was it's just. Actually? And it, I think I, it escapes me, but I think that the year that Nedved won the Ballon d'Or was the year that Henri did twenty league goals. 20 or is it 24 league goals and 20 league assists i'm just giving it a google give it a google but the year that nedved won it was the year that Henri did that absolute feckin madness and they gave it to nedved who'd scored like four goals and got like nine assists for juventus was was that the season that he got 20 assists as in the the record that um uh de borna nearly broke yes yeah it was 2003 
Yeah. But is it is it done for the year before? Well, he wasn't he wasn't even nominated in 2004. That is mental. It is crazy. It is. That is mental. It, it does baffle me. But yeah, the, it is the year that Nedved won. It was the year that he because Henri didn't set the record during the Invincible season. It was the season before. That's so funny. That's so funny. Um, uh, yes, there's also there's also another Michael Owen one of when <laughs> he's he's like pretending to fly a helicopter. But he just just watch it. I'll 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 again I'll retweet it to the different knock um YouTube YouTube, YouTube. Uh, to the different knock Twitter. It's hilarious. He's just like, wow. It looks like we can go over here and do that. I've never seen a man with like less charisma in my life. It's incredible. But hey, he's he's a he's a footballer and I'm a podcast host. So you know, yeah. <laughs> who the fuck am I to say? Multi millionaire. Probably yeah, mate, well. Michael, o- Michael Owen's shit, mate, he <laughs> says to his 15 followers. Um, so, uh, also this week, we had the Ozil interview. Yes. Um, I, again, it's, I just don't want to talk about Ozil, but I, we're going to have to. Basically saying, he, you know, he, he did an interview with The Athletic and he essentially said that, you know, I decide when I leave, <laughs> which is... Um, uh, I mean, it's absolutely fair. Arsenal gave him the contract. If he doesn't want to leave... Why would he leave? And if he's going to... There's a lot of rumours because he was pictured with the manager of um, Bashakshir. Bashakshir here, the Istanbul-based Turkish club. I can't help you. I'll be honest. I th- Yeah, no, he was... Pi- I think it's Bashakshir here. He was pictured with the manager of, of that club. Um, and he has been pictured with Erdogan before, who's a Turkish president, who is a massive fan of the Istanbul-based club. So... Why are you calling it the Istanbul-based club as if we're on some kind of like... Uh, it's just so I don't have to keep saying Bashakshir here because I genuinely okay. don't understand. If I don't, I'm not entirely sure if that is the correct way of saying that. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just trying to, trying to weasel my way around it. You sound you sound like a really like young reporter. You know when like really young reporters go on Sky Sports and they're like, they're like, they like use the lingo and they're like <laughs> recently linked with uh, this Qatari-based club. Christ Almighty! Uh, sorry, you were saying. Well, apparently he's been linked with the op- there, there's kind of an option that maybe Arsenal pay out the eighteen million pounds that it would cost to buy out his contract, and then he would be able to join them on a free. Or if they came in for a loan sweep, Arsenal would subsidise the wages. I mean, this is fucking mental. Um, it's fucking mental. Why? It is. Why are we in this position? I blame Ivan Gazidis, but why are we in this position? We're, oh, we're in this position because Ivan Gazidis uh, massively fucked it, and we were going to lose both Alexis and Ozil, and Ozil was the only one willing to come to the table. So to save face, they slapped down 350k a week and said stay. And you know, I, I was I was retweeting tweets at the time saying that he needs to have a fucking statue built because he stayed. Well, because like, we we're not like. The only reason that he didn't didn't break Thierry Henry's assist record was because Giroud went on a nine month or sixteen game goal drought from January, the year that Leicester won the league, because by January he'd gotten to sixteen assists, and you're thinking the guy's got five months left to get five assists, and Giroud just absolutely phones it in, and it's one of the major reasons why we don't win the league that year. But it's again, it's another classic example of us just giving just short term, short term thinking. Of course, like, and of I course. and I think and I and I am encouraged because I think this kind of short term thinking I doubt happens under the likes of Edu and Arteta. 
I just think, you know, giving a contract 350k a week to a 29-year-old who's won everything he needs to win isn't playing for the German national team anymore. He's he's essentially picking up his check, and and, and you know, and and it it wasn't as if it wasn't clear at the time that Özil wasn't a particularly hard worker. It wasn't as if it wasn't clear at the time that football was moving in a direction of high press. Um, you know, probably the number ten was starting to be phased out and be favoured by two sort of attacking eights or whatever system you played. There was not many teams in Europe with a clear number ten. Mm. Um, and you know, it just it's it just reeks again of of really poor planning and poor financial um decisions i agree with you i agree with you and it's a real shame because he's one of the best footballers to grace a pitch in his prime i saw a tweet saying uh saying comparing him to i think it's like kdb um bruno fernandez david silver and him saying if all of these four players were in their prime who would you take and you just think, like, if you're talking about Ozil in his prime, you're talking about him being one of the best ever creative attacking midfielders that's ever graced a football pitch. He's he he. If he is in his prime, he's miles ahead of a KDB. And if he's in a team like Man City, he chases down that record and smashes it with no problem. I think I agree with you. If Ozil's playing number ten with with inside forwards who can run. Of course, but you're talking about Ozil in his prime, which is what he was. He was, when he was at Real Madrid, he was playing that system. But do you not think, the way the game's moved on, De Bruyne is, is the answer to the way the game has moved on? Of course, but then it becomes a conversation of, of in modern times, what uh, previous footballers would be able to continue. Like Ronaldinho, fantastic footballer, but also a number 10 that wasn't famed for his high press. And was famed for his technical ability. So is Ozil then a victim of the the, the era that he was kind of playing in then? Uh, a little, but he also, I mean, how it depends how how near to now we're considering this transition to be. Because as of the 2016 year, I think it was 2016 that Leicester won the title. He was putting up something like four, five, six chances a game created. So he was he was still a creative powerhouse when. You know, times were shifting and times were changing. Yeah. All I'm saying is, is if you're having a conversation, it changes the conversation if you want to go, oh, if you want to play in this system or if you want to play in this system. Because if you're talking about pure players in their prime, you have to consider the system that they were playing in when they were in their prime. Otherwise, if you t- if you take KDB out of this Man City side and put him in a side that doesn't have the the kind of setup that this Man City side has, or Trent, for example... Liverpool, I, I, had a, I was thinking about this the other day in the sense that if Liverpool don't have Trent Alexander-Arnold and they have a more industrious right back who's an Arrow Wan-Bissaka, for example, who going forward... I'm just imagining you walking down the road thinking about Trent Alexander-Arnold. I mean, he's a glorious footballer. Um, but have a, like an Aaron Wan-Bissaka who's a defensive powerhouse but doesn't offer much creatively, their midfield has to change. They have to then work with a two-man pivot and a more creative midfielder but what they've done is they've gone, we've got Trent. He's our creative outlet. I mean, Robertson on the other side does a bit and is fantastic. But the main creative outlet in that team is Trent. So we can have three industrious midfielders who will run, who will press, who will win us the ball back and who will be like the engine and the fight of the team while Trent does what he does best, which is create chances, give opportunities to Salah, to Mane and to Firmino. And if, say, for example, Arsenal had just a fully industrious back four with no attacking capable, like no forward capabilities, 
and we had a two-man pivot that were purely defensive, we would need an Urzil type because we would need somebody to pick up those creative reins. Our issue is at the moment, we are so unbalanced that if we put a creative type midfielder in that squad without signing anyone else, the squad falls apart because we can't afford... Urzil is a luxury, a luxury player. The man will run, but he's not going to put in a massive defensive shift. And that is what we currently need from our defenders, uh, from our midfielders, sorry, because we don't have any protection there. So we need players that are going to be willing to just run and slam into tackles at the moment and will find the creativity elsewhere. But I think it's it's a difficult conversation to have if you start throwing up the kind of possibilities of, oh, but what if you put them in this system? What if you put them in this system? If you just talk about pure primes, Urzel is probably one of the top three number 10s to ever play the game. Maybe, maybe so. I think, but I think, I think you're right, and I think that's the that's the issue. Really, is that you have to put Urzil in a system that only suits Urzil, and it's not the system that suits playing against Premier League teams. Yes, yes. Oh, absolutely. Not nowadays. Urzil does not suit modern day football, which is why he needs to go to a slower league like an Italy or like a like a Turkey, where he will at least thrive and flourish. But which is why it's so annoying. It's so annoying because he's such a glorious football player. I have a, as I said last episode, I have a. And a shirt with his name on. I remember that signing. I remember the day it happened. I remember texting my mate Finn and just being so elated. And it just feels like it's kind of gone down the toilet. And 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 not even really because of massively because of what Urzel's done. No. He just doesn't suit the game anymore. And I think we didn't move him on when we could have. No, it's similar in a way to Wenger, because Wenger, you know, if we're just talking about on the pitch stuff, and I know we've mentioned the the, the off pitch stuff just just beforehand. If we're just talking about on the pitch stuff, Wenger's style and Wenger's way and pragmatism and just the idea of like, I'm not even going to think about the opposition. I'm just focusing on our patterns of play and stuff. Mm -hmm. That isn't the way you can operate anymore. And he was moved on a couple of years too late. And again, it comes back to who is in charge, who is the person making these decisions, because they should have. I could have told you in 2018 that Urza was about to fall off a cliff, certainly. And if not, was not suiting any kind of patterns of play. You know, that Liverpool team were were rampant at that time. That, um, I could be getting this completely wrong. Ozil was, that new contract was sort of 18, 19. Well, yeah, because it, it, it finishes, it, fin- it was a three-year extension signed in January. So right. it was three years and six months and it's up next season. So it would have okay. been, for the three years that we would have extended him for is last season, the season just yeah. gone and then the season coming. You look at teams around around that time and you're looking at the new vogue and you're looking at you know and and it's it's becoming even more present i think um Mm -hmm. clive who's brilliant on the arsenal vision podcast talks about it a lot i'm just stealing his opinions but it's it's so true you know power and pace are running football at the moment you look at that Bayern team they're absolutely unbelievably powerful and strong and every single one of those players you look at goretzka look at his physicality you he does everything in the midfield yeah, we can't we can't have passengers. We can't have luxury players, and we could have told you that three or four years ago. So it seems a shame to me that we we're in a position where this guy is his. Firstly, his reputation is being sullied. You know, he's having to come out and give interviews because you know I don't know what the relationship with was with him and Raul Sanjehi, but it doesn't sound like it was particularly good. I just I think we're in a real sticky situation, and I feel sorry for everyone involved. Really, absolutely, absolutely, and I I I. I think it is quite despicable the way that this club have treated him in a sense in that there's been a lot of misinformation. Like there is no surprise that it got leaked 
that Ozil was one of the players to refuse the 12.5% pay cut. Yeah. Uh, and that is, and the only reason, like he says in this interview, that he refused it is because the club offered no kind of insight into how it would help and to whether it would stave off uh, redundancies. And surprise, surprise, it hasn't. Mm. If anything, all of that money, the 12.5% that every player has just taken a hit on, apart from Urzel and I think maybe two other squad members, has just gone straight into the Cronkies' pocket. He's not... And every I've seen people rinse him. Yeah, and 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 we can we can talk about streamlining the club, and we can talk about you know sort of the the you know making making it all more efficient. But yeah, I I don't know. Um, but also it's difficult because you know it's coronavirus time. I think I think some you know it's uncertainty maybe. Um, is is that was the driver behind that? And and you know the, ultimately the club didn't know at that point when they'd get fans back into the. The stadium, and we are the we are the club, and we are the stadium. I think in certainly in the Premier League that gets the most match day revenue in the world. It's 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 not even just in the Premier League. We make more on a match day than any other club in the world. It's something. It's two point something million. We we rely more than any other club in the world on our match day revenue. So that's what this is what I'm saying. So you know the the you know the 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 players taking this pay cut. I wonder whether it comes you know, and it can be put under the headline of streamlining. But then the yeah, it's just I, I think I think we we it's a lot of these problems are symptoms of moving into a new phase and moving into new management. And I think I think we are as I said, I think we're steadying the ship. And Bradley, this week we had a new player. Come on, we did. William finally we signed William from Chelsea. He's play, he's number twelve, which um, I'm offended. Are you? I'm offended. What um, number would you rather have him been? What have we got? We've got, well, firstly, Lucas Torreira being number 11 is genuinely like, it It pains me. The first thing I do on career <laughs> mode on FIFA is change Torreira to number six. Because six is available. You're a defensive midfielder. Go to six. Please. Please. <laughs> and Willian could go 11. 11's a great number for a winger. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listeners. I have such a big thing about shirt numbers. Fair it's, enough. It's, uh, yeah, probably not good. But no, anyway, so we had a, we had a, the announcement this week. I thought um, he spoke well. I thought Edu and Arteta spoke well in the announcement as well. Um, they both seemed pretty excited about it and also quite optimistic about, you know, this is the start of a, mm-hmm. of a rebuild and this is the start of a oh, an important window for us. Um I also think in all the analysis this week, um, the stuff we were saying last week about him playing more centrally sounds more, um, sounds like, you know, the sort of the rumblings, I think Arteta said in his, in his interview about William, that he can see him playing three or four positions and he, and he, and he, and he name checked attacking midfield. So that playing between the lines, that picking up from deep, that ability to, to sort of, um, I think that his sort of shift, you know, I've been watching a little bit more of him this week and his shift is really good. He's, 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 he's got a really good acceleration and the ability to get past the player with a shift is, is, is one of his strengths. I, I, I can see him playing, let's say, if we were playing a 4-3-3 with a holding midfielder, mm-hmm. I could potentially see him playing maybe on that left side in, in an LCM role, in a sort of advanced LCM role. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think that maybe that would be the deepest we'd see him, but certainly, mm-hmm. you know, attacking midfielder and, and, and on the wings, inside forward kind of, I think he's great. I think it depends who we bring in. Big time. It depends who we bring in to play centre midfield. It will depend on where he plays. Yeah, but I, I, I'm really happy with it. I, I, I know. Oh, I. Go on. 
I've warmed to the idea a lot more <laughs> in the sense that, uh, look, I've always said that as soon as he becomes an Arsenal player, I will stop the criticisms of the deal and back the guy because that's what we need to do as fans. Uh, but thinking more logically and kind of after the conversation we had last week where you mentioned about him playing more centrally, also being able to play on the left or the right, it makes a lot of sense to have a guy who... Look, if the deal, if the deal was only two years with a possibility of a third, it would be perfect. It's just that the deal is three years with a possibility of a fourth. That I go, I mean, the man's going to be 95 years old. <laughs> but I think that when you are... One of the things that hit us this season was the depth of our squad, especially in those areas. We were very lucky that players like Martinelli and that Saka and that Nelson, to some degree less so than the others, came through and kind of came good a little to help out with that front line. Because otherwise we are thin and we are bare and we are leaving it almost up to kids. So I think that this is a decent move for Arsenal. I think it's no more than a six out of ten, but it's still it's better than nothing. And if it gives us the opportunity to spend money on people like maybe an Amadou Diawara from Roma, because uh, there's rumblings going on, though it could all be bollocks that uh, they're interested in Torreira, possible swap deal. Who knows? Or even a Thomas Party, or any midfielder that actually knows how to tackle another human being would be good. Okay, Brad, speaking of bollocks, I want to try a new section. Okay. I might even put music to it. I might even find a jingle. Oh. Okay, so all I want you to do, I'm going to get, it's called It's Blank Bollocks. And I'm just going to give some names. Okay. And some rumours I've heard this week, and I want you to, to give me It's Completely Bollocks. It's not bollocks. It might be bollocks. Whatever you think. Okay. 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 So, question one on the It's Blank Bollocks. (laughs) (laughs) What am I doing? Gabriel from Lille. Uh, I don't think it's bollocks at all. Um, Rumour is that uh, because Napoli aren't able to shift Koulibaly at the moment, that Arsenal are front runners and that we've... I mean, I was reading Twitter just before we'd done this, and there's a few people stating that we've agreed a fee now of about £27 million. So. Okay. Question two on. Oh. It's. Hang on. Maybe. No, hang on. Someone started drilling be. outside my house. It's blank bollocks. Question number two Zaha. It's definitely bollocks. It's definitely bollocks. A strong, bold choice there from Bradley Adams. The only person that wanted Zaha last season was Unai Emery. It was Sanyehi and the board that brought in Nicolas Pepe instead. Um, obviously, he's available apparently by Crystal Palace for something like 30 million. So, would it be a good move? Yes. But I think that that, again, Zaha would depend on whether we get in other targets. Because our midfield and our defence are more important. So, if we get in, if we got in one or two centre backs, a holding midfielder, and a creative midfielder, and obviously still kept some players, then I could see if we had the money... And found some treasure outside the Emirates Stadium. Yeah, and found, you know, the city of El Dorado. (laughs) We would be absolutely fine and we would go in for him. And our bonds matured and we collected $20 from the bank and all all that kind of shite. Number three and final one. It's blank bollocks. Question number three. Aaron Ramsey returning to Arsenal. Uh, it's probably bollocks. 
I don't think it'd be a good move. I think he's 30, 31 and on something like 400 grand a week. What would be the point? And he's not the kind of midfielder we need. So I disagree. I, I think I think he's he's perfect for us. I think I think I think midfield wise, we need a Ramsey. The problem is, as you say, he is where. Though, because if we talk, we need somebody. He's never put up incredible creative numbers, and at the moment, we need somebody. Well, we need goals from midfield. Be... We need goals from midfield. We We've do. had no we goals from midfield, and he and he arrives late in the box and 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 can nick a goal. Uh, and that is all that he can do. Yeah. And if he gets us eight goals a season, fantastic. But that is not going to realistically massively change the fortunes oh. of Arsenal Football Club. Maybe it's because I love him and his gorgeous haircut. I know. I I was I was gutted when he left. Absolutely gutted. I just I miss him. But realistically, we need we need different types of players. Well, that concludes. It's blank bollocks. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, um, I'm just gonna have a little check of Twitter to see if uh, have you had a, have you had a notification or anything. Let me just. I have not had Imagine any notifications. Imagine the scenes. No, Arsenal have yet to tweet. Okay. Oh, I'm so stressed. I saw a guy. I saw a guy on football Twitter getting on. Oh, hang on. Papa Abamyang on Instagram. Hang on. Okay, so Abamyang is wearing the away the third Arsenal strip in a car. Uh listening to This Is What We Do. I believe that's what the song's called. Ten minutes ago on Papa Abamyang's I find it so funny when you go on Twitter and it's like Gabriel Magalhaes's brother has been pictured in a in an Arsenal top. It's confirmed. It's happening. And his sister has followed Arsenal on Instagram. His sister He's follows joining. someone who used to follow Here Arsenal. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> um, also, I enjoyed uh, the Arsenal admin this week. Uh, did you notice when he put for the goal of the season competition, there was a vi- we were all waiting for the Willian announcement, and it was a video of Willian. There was like a clip, and you could see it. Yeah. The, the thumbnail was Willian. Yeah, and the, the obviously because he was taking the corner that led to the Martinelli goal, but yeah. the yeah, <laughs> it's just so good. Okay, it was class. It was it was class. class. Okay, final one, Bradley, because we're we're coming up to the hour mark, and Ooh, we'll try and crikey. keep it. People's attention spans are are waning. Um, <laughs> by the way, thank you if you got this far. I mean, incredible. Yeah, just listen to legendary scenes, legendary status. Um, blah, 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 blah. Okay, final one, Bradley, Hector Bellerin. Discuss. Um, as in this, as in, are we gonna? Should we sell him? Should we keep him? Or just as a human being? As a human being. As a human being, I think he's a really nice guy, and I think he does a lot for the environment. Legendary and guy. He's really cool. Plants trees. Plants trees. Cool dude. Nice hair. Anyway, um, I, uh, for me, okay, so okay, you're in a scenario. You're, uh, you're Vinay, you're Edu, you're Arteta, and you come in on a Monday morning. Inter Milan have offered you thirty-five million euros. For Hector Bering. That's about what? 30 million quid? Yeah. I think it depends on other departures. If Ainsley Maitland-Niles leaves, I do not sell Hector Bellerin. Because then I'm going to have to fund a move for another right back. Because if Maitland-Niles leaves, then we've only got Cedric who can play right back. If Bellerin leaves as well. So I think if they offer thirty, if they if they offer thirty million quid for Bellerin and Maitland Nile stays, I take it. But it all it's all it's all dependent on other moves in the market. I don't think it's the most yeah. I don't think it's the most kind of imperative thing for us to do. 
But if it if it meant I would take it as a concession if it meant improving other areas of the squad. If it was the only way we would get, say, a Thomas Party or a, a cer- or an uh, Hassem Awa or like a certain type of midfielder that we really, really, really need, I would take the loss on Hector Bellerin because I think yeah. that Arsenal's team would be upgraded much, much more by the acquisition of an Awa or a Party versus the downgrading it would take from losing a Bellerin. I am with you. I would. I think that my two sides of this coin are are this. We've not been very good at selling players when it becomes apparent that they maybe aren't going to be world class or mm-hmm. certainly top level players that we hundred percent need. Mm-hmm. And we've not been very good at selling players at the height of their value. And I think Bayern is under a decent deal and would potentially fetch sort of thirty, forty million. Oh, speaking of which, did you see the Gwendozi stuff that that he potentially might be going to uh, to be with Unai again and yeah. uh, they might be paying us a 30 million obligations alone uh, obligation to buy unbelievable if that happens uh, so incredible. yeah no apparently on that Arsenal have already rejected because they want to sell they don't want a loan with obligation okay. to buy because obviously it means that they would have to wait a season to get the money I'm and because he's one of about three say like sellable assets within the squad we need to either sell him or part exchange him now yeah. rather than but I think you know, yeah so like you know with that with that situation we're selling someone at a decent value and we're getting you know 30 40 million for for Gwendozi and, and that's and that's cool mm-hmm. and i think we can we should be doing the same with Bellerin if we're going to sell him sell him at the right time and sell him and sell him for the right price sell him ideally abroad but i like him i think he's future captain material i think he, he obviously massively cares about the club i think he's recapturing some of the form of the sort of the 15 16 era when he was bombing down that wing you know in the in the mm. 24 top and you, you, you before pre-injury and yeah i just think look the, the guy needs time he might be if if we if, if we're playing with four at the back if Tierney kind of can drop in a little bit more as that sort of as sort of the third center back when we're attacking or or, or out of possession or whatever it is i think bearing if he improves and if he improves his relationship with pepe potentially I'm I'm not averse to giving him another season. I th- I think I think another season would do him good. Me neither, because I think at the end of the day, I think a lot of Arsenal fans, I think a lot of Arsenal fans have judged him too harshly. He's coming off of an ACL injury. He's gonna be wary. He's gonna not be the same player that he was. He's gonna have lost a yard of pace that he needs to get back, and he's gonna lost have lost some confidence in that sprint. Yeah, massively. The one thing that obviously you know you say about Tierney having to drop back in. I think that Tierney's delivery is better than Bellerin's. Whether Bellerin can run faster or kind of offer more in the sense of him and Pepe could, you know, interlink. I just look at it as if Pepe gives it to Bellerin and Bellerin needs to cross, Bellerin's hitting Rosette. So if we're having to sacrifice Tierney's delivery on that left-hand side... I don't know whether we would, because I think with quicker with quicker centre-backs, say you get Gabriel and say you get Saliba, who've got a bit, a bit more pace on them and have got mm. essentially longer legs... <laughs> I don't know whether that would be as much of an issue. Yeah, I think it, I'd give him another season, absolutely. But if his sale, if if a cer- if certain deals were dependent on his sale versus other sales, he would be a piece that I would be willing to. It's it's. I mean, this uh, the whole thing is like a game of chess, isn't it? He's a piece I'm willing to sacrifice to win. Mm. I think also the average swag levels of the squad would decrease, and that's my main concern. <laughs> uh, so you know, it's 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 not really good. 
Okay, on that swaggy note, I don't think I've said swag in about four years. <laughs> I just wanted to tell you something quickly, Alex. Go on, bro. You know we've just completed this Willian deal. Yes. And you're going to be really, really interested in the free agents that have been available this season. I'm excited. Unbelievable scenes. You got Ryan Fraser. Oh, you're you love Ryan Fraser, Brad. You love him. Oh, just marry him. David Silver, Willian, Tiago Silva, Vertonghen, Manzukic, Cavani, Goetze, Pedro, Giroud. Apparently, is available this season unless Chelsea. Nah. Um, they've got an optional one-year extension. Lalana's obviously gone to Brighton. And you got like Dries Mertens. Apparently, there's so many top players. Ooh. Or at least, like, top players considered for, like, a, you know, like an Everton or, like, a like yeah. a Wolves. There's so many good deals out there at the moment that so many teams could pick up. The problem is, is, like, I'm, I'm looking at all of those and I'm going, oh, I'd love him, I'd love him, I'd love him. But then all of those would command huge wages. A lot of them are sort of 29, 30, 31. They're all in that sort of trap area where we end up with an Ozil situation or a... Or a Socrates. The only two of them that kind of aren't are Malong Saar and Mario Goetze. Because Saar's like twenty twenty one. Saar, I like the look of. And I like the sound of especially He's left-footed, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and yeah. can play left-back. So Lovely. we could sell Kalazinac. Oh, finally. I love you, Kalazinac, but you're, you're just big. That's all you are. And also, I mean, fair play for literally fighting off a knife fighting yeah. off a man on a, on a moped with a knife but you, you, you're you're less less able on the pitch shall we say um <laughs> as if he's listening hi, hi say ad um uh yes so uh, Goetze yeah I, I'm not averse to that I, I mean it's like 27 but I mean it cost us 100k a week yeah but there are other moves I, there are other moves I I feel like I don't why have they released him do you know what I mean Oh, they tried to sign him down to a new deal, but he refused to take a reduction in wages because he wasn't okay. he wasn't getting a large amount of minutes. So okay. wanted to kind of eat, wanted to move away. But then they came back and we said, we'll keep you. I think they offered him a two or a three year deal, but wanted him to take a wage cut from like 100k down to 70. And he refused. OK. Uh Yes. Well, obviously, uh, Vinay, Edu and Artes are listening. So, um, guys, if you are. Uh, don't fuck it up don't fuck it up uh, okay Bradley that concludes episode two of the Different Not podcast lovely stuff fan dabby dozy fan dabby dozy thanks again for your your insight your 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 list of free agents that was pure joy it's just mental there's like 12 players who've been playing in the top five leagues this season who have all got uh, okay well listen it was uh, great great to chat to you mate and um, thanks so much and Thank you, everyone, for listening. Appreciate it. And we will see you next Monday, where hopefully we'll have... Well, I mean, it, it won't be as eventful as this week, let's be honest. But it might be. Who knows? Hopefully we'll have an Aubameyang uh, extension. Hopefully we'll have some Gabriel and maybe even some Thomas Party news. Uh, but until then, catch you on the flip side. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast with Alexander Manipenny and Bradley Adams. There's a new episode every Monday. So check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter, at DiffNockPod. Thanks. Sports Social Podcast Network.